Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Hey, it's Melissa Rivers, and welcome to Group Text. Stay tuned for a new episode. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Group Text. Sabrina, are you as excited as I am today? I am. Are you ready? I'm ready. Are you ready? I'm so ready. Please welcome... The one, the only part of all of our teen years, Debbie Gibson. Hi, Debbie. Hey, how are you? Good. I haven't seen Melissa. Oh, yes, I haven't seen you in so long. And both of us have been around for forever, let's be honest. But, and Debbie, you look amazing. You look so fresh and just ready to take on the world. You look amazing. Thank you. Listen, you know, I brought my really good light. Like if I was like, if I have to bring anything on this trip, it's got to be my really good light for whatever I do virtually. But no, in all seriousness, you know, I feel like I'm in like this amazing second chapter that not everyone gets. And I just have such a, like a joyful feeling all the time. And that's what you see, you know, really. Well, I mean, we're going to get to the fact that you literally have never stopped working, but you really did come into our lives. You and I are two years apart in age. Um, when you were 16. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Yeah. Only in my dreams. And now you're, dare I say it, 50. Can you- I am, and I keep saying I just turned 50, but in fact, I'm going on 51 already. <laughs> I don't know how, I don't know how. Anyway, my, two of my boys have joined me, so. Oh, uh, so have you, yes. could, could you, can you believe you're still doing it after all these years and still in demand after all these years? I mean, you know, here's the thing. So when I started, when I was younger, you know, I always had the fantasy of like, I'm going to be, you know, I, I worked with Eartha Kitt on the Cinderella tour and she was kicking her leg over her head still at like 76. And I was like, I want to be like that. But as you actually go through the twists and turns of showbiz and your life, and you, you realize like having around one is easy compared to sustaining it. And you know, from your mom who I just adored and missed so much, um, you know, sustaining is the trick and keeping true to your authentic self while trends are changing and not getting pulled into the concept that you have to like chase trends to be hip all the time. You have to do what you do. And then it's like a searchlight that's going around and around. And if you're just standing still doing what you do and you don't stop, that light will find you again, you know? And that's really what I've done. I've just keep doing what I love to do. And when trends in music weren't doing what I was doing, I was like, you know, I've always wanted to do Broadway. I'm going there. And I would go to, I would go where I was welcome, where I could be on top of my game. I didn't worry about perception. Like the music executives were like, Broadway, what's Broadway? That's so not cool. I'm like, I got news for you. I'm not cool anyway. I'm not out to be cool. I'm out to do great work, have a great time. Um, And so, you know, that's just what I've done all these years. 
just I've just kept trying to evolve and 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 grow and and have fun. And it's truly your your body of work totally reflects that. Thank you. I mean, I did a lot of independent albums. You know, I literally hopped the ranch for albums over the years because I was like, you know, if no one's going to make my album, darn it. What am I going to just sit in my Upper West Side apartment doing nothing? Like, I don't need the apartment. Let's hit the road. Let's do this. You know, and that's I've, I've always been an artist at heart that way. I don't think what people realize is you wrote your songs. You were you you produced your songs at such a young age. How did your parents know that you had the chops to do this? How did you know, you know, you, you opened the door for all of these sort of girls that became these young pop princesses. And a lot of them were one hit wonders and you were not. How did your parents know? How did you say to your parents, you know, this is what I'm going to do. And I think I should give up everything and go do this at basically 15. Cause it hit at six. I mean, listen, I always say like my mom was always insane in the best possible way because she did know she, you know, I think managers like great talent managers, that's what they have an act for recognizing talent and recognizing ambition. She was like, I knew you were going to do this with or without me. And I wanted to support it and make it easier and better for you, you know, but I think, you know, I, so I've always said this, but I'm not, I'm not the greatest singer in the world. I am not Kelly Clarkson. I am not Whitney Houston, but I always had an ear for music. I could hear something on the radio and my hands would start playing it. I knew what key it was in. Uh, I could write songs from my head to paper. I was like tuned into some spiritual music channel. That's what I had going. And she knew that she was like, okay, this girl is living and breathing music. And, you know, I think, so I was doing like TV commercials and voiceovers as a kid. I was like, you know, an annoying kid actor or, you know, hammy kid. And I went into a voiceover studio once and I looked at my mom and my mom and dad. And I said, if I knew what these buttons did, I was looking at this mixing board. I said, if I knew what these knobs and dials and faders and buttons did, I could be producing and arranging my music because I could hear the parts. Like I would get with a band and I would say, I want, I want you to play. Da, 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 da. I want you to play. Ding, 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 whatever it was. And I could hear the arrangement in my head. And I knew if I, if I could experience the technical side that I could produce. And so my mom went and got a $10,000 loan from an uncle in Vineland, New Jersey, my late uncle Joe. And he's like, you know, my daughter who stands on the tables and sings at the family reunions, she's going to be a star. (laughs) And he was like, okay. And that literally kicked off me having the ability to have some recording equipment in the house. We brought some people in to show me things. I experimented. I learned as I went. Um, And there was no garage band. It wasn't self-contained in a laptop. It was like, what patch base when you see a movie about like an like the old-fashioned telephone company that was me like wiring my studio and uh it was crazy and i i did like i demoed a hundred songs from age 12 to 16 wrote and demoed a hundred songs when atlantic heard when atlantic heard like only in my dreams they were like yeah this is probably a fluke we were like no there's a hundred more but so did you walk in to atlantic with your tape i mean how did yeah. How, so, how were well, you discovered? Tell us, how were you discovered for those that so don't my know? My mom and I, yeah. So my mom and I literally would sit at the kitchen table and my dad was involved. My dad was involved. Like he'd take me to auditions, but my mom was like the business mind. 
we would sit at the kitchen table and literally put like my commercial headshot and resume and a demo tape in an envelope. And we'd be like, Tommy Matola, Sony Records. Like, we just sent them everywhere. And then if I was auditioning for something in the city, in New York, we would look and we'd see like entertainment attorney, entertainment, anything. And we were knocking on the, we were literally like door to door and mailing stuff out. And I have all the rejection letters. I have like, you know, Sony was like, it's a pass, but keep us updated. And then Atlantic, there was an entertainment attorney who walked it into Atlantic and they took an interest, but not, you know, Ahmed Erdogan and Doug Morris. It was the guys, it was, I'll tell you who it was. It was Larry Asgar, Bruce Carbone and Anthony Sanfilippo. And those were the guys in the windowless office in the back. They were the dance department. They, they, they sound like the godfathers. Guests, <laughs> they sound like the godfathers. They were the godfathers. They were, and they were connected to the club world. And only in my dreams, you know, it was a pop song, but like everybody could hear beyond that to, oh, this could be done. This could be a real viable dance record. So they were, they took interest. They said, look, we're going to release this to the clubs and, uh, you know, the 12 inch version. It, By the way, and you were too, but wait, you were too young to go to clubs. Yes. And that, that's the next part of the story. See, when, when my mom found out club, she was like, well, what do we, she just made it up as she went along. She was, we must need a club booking agent because we have to get you heard in the clubs. So then um, got the club booking agent and I played a team club, a straight club and a gay club, like four nights a week all over the country. So I would do three shows a night. I would change in the car. I had the wireless mic. My 21 year old sister, Karen was doing sound and lights. I had my two backup dancers. One is Buddy Casamano, who went to high school with me and he dances with me to this day and choreographs for me. And we were just like, we were completely nuts. I mean, my, my mother was nuts. She, she would say, kids, stay in the car. She never let me hit a stage without collecting the money up front. She would say, By the kids, way, my mom, to the bitter end, I need the check before I go on stage. And I'm talking till the day she died. Yep. I'm sure. I yep. know. I know knew her well enough to that I would get makes perfect sense to me. So my mom would be like, and we would play everything from, you know, a church to like a hardcore club in East LA where there were metal detectors and armed men walking me in and, and they would say to me, Do not put your hands in the crowd, your jewelry will disappear, which has ha which happened to me over the years too. So like my mom would go, kids, if I'm not back in 15 minutes, someone coming after me. And she would be in these dingy club basements. I mean, you know, we all met our first drag queen when I was 16, like Belle at Backstreets in, um, I think it was Miami or Fort Lauderdale. You know, I mean, it was like, Dorothy, you're not in Kansas anymore. It's Debbie, you are, you are not on Long Island anymore. And the thing about the clubs for me, it got me in front of people and I'm a people person. And I never lip synced a day in my life. I would I would start only in my dreams a cappella. I would go, no, 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 only in my dreams. And I would hold the, it was only in my dreams as long as I could till I got everyone's attention. <laughs> dreams. And then the traffic kick in. And it would make people, because people were there to drink and pick people up. They were like, yeah. who's this little girl getting on stage trying to sell us a record? So... It gave me a backbone I never would have had without that moment. That was like nine months to get that record to pop radio of me doing the clubs. Which wow. is, what was it like the first time you heard it on the radio? Back when we had regular radio. 
Oh, it was amazing. I was with my dad and I was driving home from Manhattan to Long Island with him. And I heard the, uh, it was the dance version on like Kate, you know, but it became KTU hot, whatever, hot 97. And, uh, it was just like every dream come true. Cause I was obsessed with pop radio. You know, I was a kid who was, I was winning the call-in contest. I was winning the tickets. I was winning the album rapper competition. I was, and I was obsessed. Like the minute I started writing songs, it was like, okay, yes, I want to be on Broadway. I want to do all these other things, but the original music that comes out of you, the idea that people could be hearing it on the radio to me was just magical. So hearing out, hearing my stuff on the radio to this day is magical. You know, if I turn on Sirius XM and my song comes on, I'm like, it's, you know, friends and, and fans constantly screenshot when I'm on and, you know, on the display. And it still is like, oh my God, this is my life. You guys like that, how that you know, I know exactly how it happened, but I have no idea how it happened. Well, you, you did three consecutive albums, world tours in a very short amount of time. Did you ever want to take a break? How did you stay sane? That's a great question. So I did and I didn't want to take a break. I was so afraid that if I took a break, people would forget about me. And that is unfortunately how fickle pop music is. It's by the way, that's um, entertainment is that fickle. I was my mom was the same way and I am the same way. Oh my God, everyone if you're gone for a week, everyone's gonna forget you. Yeah, it's like a badge of honor to be the girl who's always working. Yeah. Right. Like, and I know your mom was like that, you know, like she just rocked every gig she did. And you just had that work ethic. Like I'm friends with the Osmonds. They're like that. The Van Pattens, they're like that. You're just like, you know, Hey, that's a gig. Like, but I, but I never set out to do gigs. Like I wanted everything I did to be really special, but you know, I started dealing with, um, panic attacks at, at a very young age. Um, with panic attacks comes depression and people think depression means that there has to be something bad going on in your life. You get depressed because your life's overwhelming to you. So you kind of go like, Oh God. And you just want to sleep all the time. And your mood kind of like, you can't keep this up all the time. And so the panic attacks were, were so debilitating and petrifying and anyone who's ever had them. How old were you when those started? I mean, literally the first year of my career because I was up super late. The thing is too, what I've learned over the years is I was born with weak adrenals. So like I picked this career that fatigues your adrenals <laughs> and and taxes your your nervous system. But I was a kid like I could get up in front of a you know stadium full of people. But if you called on me in class for an answer, like I turned red and got nervous. Because my real makeup is that I'm like a nervous person who needs a ton of sleep, a ton of calm in order to go into those kind of like rock and roll environments. But yet I'm yet it's my calling to go into those rock and roll environments. So I'm constantly having to balance it with a ton of rest, a ton of meditation. And the way they knew back then was medication. But I was also doing yoga. I had practitioners. I was trying to do things holistically, but it was already like too far gone. And it was like a brain chemistry thing at that point. So I was put on Xanax. I was put on Prozac. I, I always knew, I, I knew I didn't want to stay on them, but I knew that like I needed something dramatic to help me get out of the, the, the hole. And so it was about three years and I was doing therapy at the same time. Were your parents worried? You know, they, they were, but they also, 
it's like, you know, listen, a decade ago, I got Lyme disease and I was like debilitated and everybody knew I was going to find my way out of it. Even when I was like despondent, I think, so I think as worried as everybody was, they were like, we get why this is happening. No one was going to pull the plug because I wouldn't let them. I did pull the plug once. So when I did Les Mis on Broadway, um, the producers wanted me to do it in the West End. And that's, you know, I ended up doing Grease in the West End, like just a couple of years later. That's when I said, I need a break. That is when I said, guys, I just don't think I can, I don't think I can take another step or sing another note, let alone go be in a foreign country at 21 years old. It was like, I'd gone five years really hardcore. It's like being in the Olympics, but for five years straight. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the Olympics are seasonal, sports are seasonal. Showbiz is like going, 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 going. And the thing is, even now I say that and I, I want to say like, but I'm not complaining. See, that's the thing is I think especially little girls are people pleasers by nature. By nature. We, we want to be, yeah, it's like, yes, I'm superhuman. I can do it. And I don't I never want to seem ungrateful. But you're you're always allowed to say no when it comes to your well-being. That's what I've learned in my life. And even now, you know, I'm here in Illinois making a movie. And I just said, like, I'm doing this day, like I had my priority list of people I wanted to talk to this morning. And I said, next week, I'm going to need a day off. Like, it's only human to need a day off, even if you love what you're doing. You know, you have to you have, need you have a have day. Balance. Yeah, you, you have, have to have balance. balance. You which is, totally do. Which is, an I know yeah. personally, is an ongoing battle for me. I mean, Sabrina, yes. I got invited on a trip and I'm like, I can't go. I've got too much to do. And Sabrina did everything but like physically hurl me over the gate to make me go away. I want to go back to Broadway because it is obviously, yes. you did- 17 musicals in 17 years. Did I read that correctly? You did read it correctly. So between Broadway, LA, the West End, national tours. I mean, I did some national tours that went on for nine months. And if you haven't lived till you've done, I I think to myself, thank God I did that in my 20s and 30s because you're doing It'll kill you. a week and you're, your day off the travel day. So anyone out there who's traveled knows it's not a relaxing experience. And by the way, not as cushy in a weird way as the rock star, pop star travel. You know, no, 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 a no. completely You're one of the gang, different. It's completely different. And the thing that, the thing, you know, I've always loved being one of the gang. So like, I love being a leader and I love doing my shows, but this was such a way for me to like bond with people in my own age group without being, yes, my name was on the marquee and I was the star of that show, but like theater's a great equalizer. You're like as good as your prop guy and your wig master and your ensemble member. And you're, there is no star, in my opinion. Everyone's there to put on a show. So I just love that community feeling. Some of my best friends today, I mean, I'm in touch with people from every show I've ever done. It's such a bonding, a bonding thing. Um, but yeah, singing eight shows a week was never easy for me. Like I would be like turning showers on and the, like to, to steam up rooms because it's like you get dry and you're tired all the time. And so I did all that, um, you know, and I, 
I loved every minute of it. Doing Grease in the West End was unreal. I did like their big revival in the early 90s. And it was just an, oh, it was an amazing production playing Sandy there. Which, you mean, you've done everything from Grease. I played Rizzo here and Sandy there. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? Do you, by the way, by the, when you're learning a show, you basically know every single part. Right. You do. Right. And our, our Rizzo in the West End, Sally Ann Triplett, was so brilliant. I studied her so much. Like, as Sandy looked up to Rizzo, I looked up to her. So when I went to do my Rizzo, I pulled from a lot of what she did. And um, my real-life personality falls somewhere between the two. So it was fun to go both directions and play up each each side of my personality. So you've done everything from Grease, Funny Girl, Gypsy, Les Mis. Two questions on this. Three. Cabaret. Cabaret yes. with Neil Patrick Harris. That had to be a blast because he is so a talented. He's, he's so brilliant. And that production, I mean, I saw Natasha Richardson in it um, and I saw Alan Cummings in it. And it's just, it's, that's one of those shows where they were not hiring like a stunt pop singer to sell tickets. Like I became a girl who they called. They were like, you know, you can sell the tickets and handle the press load, but we also know you can legitimately do the work. So it was a fun place to be. I was kind of off in the guinea pig or pioneer, however you look at it, for like putting a name in a role, like Belle and Beauty and the Beast. They had never, because, you know, Belle is the star. Like they didn't want like a star. But then they realized that they could merge that and have different audiences come into the theater, which was exciting. And Tony Braxton came after me, which was exciting. And that kind of turned, you know, casting um, ethnic diversity in roles that may have been limited before. And so I, you know, they, Ricky, they put Ricky Martin and Shanice and Tilly Miz after me. So I felt like at the forefront of a lot of that, which was exciting. And I went back every year to see everybody else open because I loved seeing like you got the Ricky Martin had the Latina crowd in for the, you know, for Les Mis. I mean, it was such an amazing, you know, access. Broadway became accessible and maybe where people had a, a thing like it was like untouchable or snobby, like, oh, you come in the from the Hamptons to see a show. But, you know, shows like Rent changed that, you know, shows that allowed like ticket lotteries and all of that. And and so putting pop, being a part of like being a pop personality in that world, but treating it with the utmost respect because I came from theater. I had my actor's equity card when I was 11 doing a Christmas carol. And so I was a professional theater kid who got to then revisit Broadway and go back in it, which was, which was exciting. We, you know, you, you talk about Beauty and the Beast. So that was a big Disney extravaganza. So very technical. Les Mis yes. vocally is a challenge. Um, singing. Funny doing- Girl was probably my biggest vocally challenging role. Over Gypsy? It was nuts. Oh yeah. I mean, Gypsy was like Little Lamb had that, you know, kind of high legit stuff, but basically like the beltier stuff in Gypsy was right in my wheelhouse. But but Funny Girl, you're inevitably going to be compared to Streisand. I mean, that was so daunting. The thing about me, and I always say this to people, it's not that like I'm fearless and it's not that I'm the most talented person in any room, but I will take the leap. I will take the leap. I auditioned for um, Julie Stein at one point and then he passed and I auditioned for his wife, for Funny Girl. I auditioned and had this great audition day and then I went, I have no idea how I'm really doing this eight times a week. I'm not prepared. And I called Joan later who um, 
the late Rebecca Luker, who uh, such an such an amazing theater performer and vocalist, um, and she passed pretty recently and, and very young. She was my role model for, oh my God, whoever trained that voice, that is who I want to study with next because, because she sounded like herself. She sounded pure and I was and strong and beautiful. So I called Joan Later, who's like the go-to in New York. And she was like, oh, I have a waiting list. I'm like, Joan, I, I know you don't know me, but like, not only do I need to see you once a week, I think I need to see you twice a week because this is funny, girl. I have no idea anyway. I wormed my way into her busy schedule and she took me on twice a week and changed my life and my voice and, and, and did that. What role that you haven't sung would be the one right now that you would want to? So there's a few things I've always wanted to do that, you know, if people decide to overlook age, which would be lovely. I always say in theater, you can really play versatile ages. You know, I think it's about your spirit, what you exude. I've never played Evita. I've done, I've worked with Tim Rice, like I've done benefits with him. So I've sung the score and I've done some of the material live. That's an incredible role. I never got to play Maria Von Trapp, which was always kind of a fun. I always wanted to play Peter Pan. I don't think I'm doing any of those, but uh, I played Velma, but I never played Roxy in Chicago. And then I've always wanted to do their planner song. I've always loved that musical. I saw Lucy Arnaz do it when I was a kid. And it's, you know, a Neil Simon play and it's Carol Bayer Sager. I mean, it's, it's such an incredible show. I love, it's such a quirky New York show. So I've always wanted to do that. And I've written two musicals. Like my, for me, my next theater venture will be as a composer, creator, producer. Um, I just, you know, the eight show a week thing when you do I my hats off to friends like Kristen Chenoweth and Mark Kudish, people that do it for decades. I'm like, how on earth? I, pop music's way easier in my opinion, for me anyway, because you could, as the writer, I can change the key. I can go sing with me. I can have a microphone this close to my face in theater. You have this tiny microphone right here and it's all you projecting. You've got to be so on point. Your chops have to be on point every single time. Um, but yeah, I wrote a musical with Jimmy Van Patten called The Flunky. And um, it's so, it's kind of like a Rocky horror. It's really, really like dark comedy, a little bit twisted, but also very traditional. It's a lot of fun. And I wrote a musical called Skirts that was supposed to be a movie that Kenny Ortega was going to be directing. Marissa Tomei was supposed to play my cousin. This is going way back to the late 80s, early 90s. And um, Hillary Carlip and Katie Ford, who wrote the original screenplay, I contacted them years later and said, guys, I've turned this into a stage musical. So we've, we're just kind of revisiting it again. And it's really like a West Side Story meets Hairspray. It takes place in 1964, the year of the World's Fair. And the thing is, it focuses on racial diversity and what, what was happening back then. And you would think that was a problem of the issue of the times and it's still relevant which is slightly insane, but it's like, we can't get enough of, of, of that message. And, um, you know, it's about these girl groups, these dance groups working together within the same school in the Bronx. It's a very cool story. And the music is so much fun. So I would love to, uh, you know, go back to Broadway as a creator at this point. Well, cause you're I such was, a, I was, I was just kidding. And she is a slacker. I was going to say, you're such a slacker. She's such a slacker. <laughs> And, and that's what I was going to ask. If you had to pick one, because you're you're truly an artist 
and you are a performer. It's like everything I've heard you say um, during this interview is something that I would hear Joan say, whether it's going to the vocal coach, mm-hmm. whether it, I mean, just prepping for every every aspect, whatever it is that you're involved in. But if you really had to, would you pick theater stage or concert stage? Now me, I love both. I love going to eat. They're different I performances. Love both. I, go, I go, thank God I don't have to choose. I mean, at this very moment in my life, music is the calling. Like, I just feel like um, as a songwriter, like that need, it's like a dire need to get that music out to the world when you've written it. Like, that's the thing. It's as a creator, that's, that's the moment I'm in now. I mean, that's my, my form of expression now, but the beauty is it does ebb and flow. You know, I, I can envision in a decade from now scoring a movie or conducting a symphony. Like, I know that I'm going to go there. I know that I'm going to want that peaceful musical sound that envelops me. I performed at the Metropolitan Opera as a kid. Sarah Jessica Parker was in it at the same time for three years. And I will never forget that feeling of like, I was in La Boheme with Placido Domingo and Renata Scotto. And I would sneak back to the back of the house when I wasn't on stage and hearing that symphony and being enveloped by that sound is also like ingrained in me. Um, So at some point, like I'm a big fan of Thomas Newman. I'm always like, I want to like call him and trail him. It's like, can I just like follow you around while you're working on scoring a film? Cause I, I'm fascinated by that too. So yeah, the beauty is you can, you can keep doing whatever and adapting to your lifestyle. You know, I might want to be like sitting in the middle of nowhere on a ranch with a bunch of animals someday and scoring something like I know that my energy is going to shift and change and I'm going, you know, but then I want to, might want to, you know, do a Tina Turner didn't still be rocking stadiums at 70. Like, I think that we just can keep going through all those shifts, but right now it's the pop music moment for me. A thousand percent. But that's what keeps you, that's what keeps you relevant. Yet you're in the middle of making a movie. You are one of the most prolific producers at the Hallmark Channel. I mean, we haven't even gotten into that whole side of you. Thank you. And you're about to start a Vegas residency and you have a new album coming out. This is a when it rains, it pours moment. Like, so, you know, I did that Lucifer episode and it came out recently and it was like, I w- there was a moment where I spoke to Variety, Rolling Stone, Billboard, and the New York Times in the same week. And I went, what is happening? Like, And again, I look at it with kind of a giggle and perspective because I'm like, I know that you can't make moments like this happen. You, can, you, ha- you do kind of have to because like, again, my manager, I can say, has worked very hard strategizing for a decade to hopefully have this moment. But you don't know if it's going to happen. You know, it's, a lot has to align. I'm just grateful because there's a lot of deserving people out there doing exactly what I'm doing in whatever whatever their field is. And maybe they're not having this moment. And for years, I didn't have this moment. Like, again, you know, you guys know, you know from yourselves and you know, like from your mom, sometimes your your agent is picking up the phone and no one's taking their, their call. And sometimes it's just easier. You know, And, and sometimes an, your agent doesn't call you. <laughs> I'm very lucky because I have this. So all my, fa- I, I have like all my favorite people in my world are like 75 years old. My agent is in his 70s. He's like this really old school. Like he handled Gene Wilder and Florence Henderson and Suzanne Summers. He handled or handles a lot of iconic people that no one else knows what to do with. 
And I love it. I love him so much. David Shapira. He's just, he's like my papa, but I love people on my team. I don't always go for like the youngest, hippest person in the room. I go for who wakes up every day and says, what can I do for Deb today? What, how can I help Deb facilitate her dreams? That's who I want in my corner. They might not, you know, their call might not be taken, but like, I know that at least they're out there in the field for me. So I love my, I love my team. It's team effort, you know? And so this is a fun moment for my team because there's a lot of fun things happening and they all get to celebrate it. Um, you, you know, I, I want to go back to you hit so young and obviously Britney Spears is very much in the news right now. How did you not become a cautionary tale? I mean, a lot of that's my family. I am so lucky, you know, like I look at my dad now, like comparing dads, like I look at my dad and he's sitting in his home in St. Augustine, Florida with his wife and his pets. He doesn't want anything from me. He wants a call. We have a great time. You know, he, if he comes and visits, we sing together and we, but he's, he doesn't, he doesn't get his identity from me. He doesn't want money from me. He doesn't, he's, he's self-sufficient. Um, you know, I just, so that's a big part of it. Um, I was, I mean, for me personally, this is like a glorified hobby for me that became my life and my career. Like I never, I never saw it as I want the money and I want the fame. I saw it as I want my music to be heard. Like my motive, my motives were always pure. And I have, I had, I, you know, had my work ethic that was instilled in me from somewhere, uh, from birth. I don't know. And so I just always treated this as like this journey and I had a great time. I, I, I don't know. I don't know how I didn't, I mean, that's all I can say is I've always been focused on the work. That's what it is. Like, again, I, I got the, I brought Lucifer before. I remember getting that call. My first thing was like, oh my God, this is so cool. And two minutes later, I was on the phone with my um, acting coach. Cause it was like, boom, the work, go to the work. Don't go to the, Hey, look at me. This is cool. Go to the work. And that's, that's what's kept me sane and focused and in it for the right reasons. You know, I know. I, I often look at a number of my peers, so to speak, and think to myself there, but for the grace of God go I. And I know I attribute that to my family, to my, you know, knowing that there's a difference between family time and work time mm -hmm. and that this is a job and not reality. Reality is you sit down, you do your homework, you eat dinner as a family, you know, and I know that's what kept me from going off the rails. I know that's with my son as well. Um, so it's interesting that you say it all comes down to family. It does. I mean, my same thing, like, you know, I have three sisters. Your sisters are never going to let you get away with feeling special. <laughs> does not. They were like, it's Tuesday. It's your turn to do the dishes. Like, we don't care if you were playing a club last night, you know. Um, so my sisters have kept me grounded, you know. Look, at this point, I've got two little dogs sleeping, sleeping on me. Oh, my God. So Aww. cute. You know, and that keeps me grounded. Like, I'm like, you know what? Like you get home from shooting, shooting some scenes in a movie. It's like, they don't care. They want to be fed and they want you to throw the squeaky toy around with them. Um, so everything I can do to just like connect, I'm a connector. And I think what happens to a lot of people that go off the rails is they become disconnected, like within themselves. I'm also somebody who, you know, again, I had that like real mental health wake up call at a young age. Um, 
And I'm somebody who deals with my crap. I really do. I, my, I have the, I have the not for the faint at heart therapist who's going to go, Deb, what are you doing? What are you saying? Do you hear what you're saying? So I don't have people around me that placate me and yes me to death. And I don't want that. I've attracted teachers into my life for better or worse. My last relationship, I'm still very good friends with my ex. I used to go, every day is a lesson in the house of love. I wrote a gospel song for it because I was like, oh, I'm getting taught another lesson today, whether I like it or not, it became a running joke. But I've attracted people into my life who want to help me elevate. They don't want me to get lazy, complacent, or just think every... My mom used to say, everything you do is not always going to be great. Like, so you have to be prepared to hear. And now I don't need anyone telling me. I am the first person to say 10 times a day, oh my God, that sucked. Oh my God, I missed that note. Oh my God, I need to do that better. I don't do it in a way that's like the old school type A perfectionist thing though. I just acknowledge it and move on. I go, great, I need to work on that. If someone on my team messes something up, I go, great. So for next time, here's what we need to do need to do it this way i don't you know i don't i don't beat myself or anybody up i'm terrified to ask this but what is next <laughs> well you know like right now as we speak i'm working on a movie called the class so like the next month of my life is this movie and it's so much fun you know we all grew up i'm sure with the great like john hughes movies this is a modern day grittier breakfast club and anthony michael hall is my adult co-star in this movie, which is so, so cool and thrilling. And I love that because um, he and I kind of share that we pay homage to our past, but we're constantly moving forward. He's, you know, done so many relevant things and he's a heck of an actor. And yet he's like, yeah, I'll be in like a modern day homage to the breakfast club. Um, and I see the kids, the young cast, Charlie Gillespie, Lyric Ross, Hannah Keppel, um, Oh my gosh, um, Colin McCullough. I'm trying to remember everybody's name, but yeah, the cast is incredible. Um, I love being around young talent. It keeps me really like, again, connected because they don't let you get away with anything in your acting. Like you have got to be, and I'm playing a teacher, I'm playing the drama teacher. Um, and so it just, it keeps you like so engaged. So I'm working on that. And then I go right into rehearsing my Vegas shows with Joey McIntyre and promoting this new album, which, you know, The Body Remembers comes out August 20th. I was about to say your new album drops August 20th. What are your Vegas dates? My Vegas dates at the Venetian are August 26th through 29th and September 16th through 19th. So eight shows total. It started as three and grew into eight. So we're thrilled. And I live in Vegas. So I'm like, sign me. Joey was like, do you want to do some shows together in Vegas? I'm like, sign me up. I can doll up in my own bathroom and head over to the theater. <laughs> oh, we're, we're looking forward to seeing you. We so are. Thank you. Please come out. Please hit me up for tickets. <laughs> oh, we will. Debbie, a pleasure to see you. you wonderful too. to talk Thank to you. you. And we are enjoying this, this wonderful moment with you. Thank yes. you. Thank you. 